everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Join Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy, even in infertility. Hey guys, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest to you, but first, I wanted to give a shout out to the ladies who are walking through the Hope in the Dark Bible plan with me on the YouVersion Bible app. I'm really enjoying hearing you share your hearts and what God is teaching you. So thank you so much for joining me on the Bible app. So today I'm interviewing Lauren McAfee. She's a speaker, recently published author, PhD student, coffee enthusiast, and she's the corporate ambassador for none other than Hobby Lobby. Lauren does all the things. And what I love about Lauren is that she is truly embracing this season of infertility and waiting with not only joy, but purpose. Her and her husband, Michael, constantly keep eternity in perspective when they hit those hard moments. You know, God has a plan and a purpose, and I know that He sees the bigger picture. He sees the full span of my life and my husband's life and what our story is meant to look like. And I, I do trust Him. I trust Him with that. And even though I can't see why this is happening and I can't understand what it's going to look like in the end, um, I know that because we have a good God, He is trustworthy, and I can trust Him with that. I really enjoyed talking to Lauren, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear her story. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for fitting us in. You've been a little busy lately. you got a lot <laughs> going on. I'm excited yes. for you to share some of that stuff with us. Um, before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about you and your husband? Sure. Yeah. So my husband and I live in Oklahoma City. That's where we've um, both basically grown up and all of our family is here. Um, and we actually, Michael and I met when we were seven years old and we were um, wow. going to the same church. And so Sunday school sweethearts, uh, we grew up just kind of around each other in church. And I remember in middle school kind of becoming really good friends with Michael. We, we just were, had a good friendship and, um, we didn't date at that time. We just were good friends, but it wasn't until about our senior year of high school that we started dating and then kept dating for four more years until we got married the summer before our uh, senior year of college. So we've been married for nine years now. We just celebrated our ninth anniversary a couple weeks ago. So yeah, thank you. So it's, uh, it's fun. We, we both get to work kind of, um, in some similar areas. He works for Museum of the Bible and I, I worked for Museum of the Bible for a number of years as well. And today I'm at Hobby Lobby, but the, uh, corporate campus for Hobby Lobby is also where the offices for Museum of the Bible are. So we work on oh, the I same did not know campus. That. Yeah, it's fun. So we'll later today we'll go get lunch together because we work, yeah, in the same it's different buildings, but it's on the same campus. There's like ten million square feet of um, office and warehouse space on the whole wow. campus. Um, so we're in different buildings, but he's just like a two minute drive away. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so fun. And the Museum of the Bible opened up recently, right? Yes. It just opened up November, 2017. So not even a full year ago. Um, Museum of the Bible is a brand new museum in Washington, DC. It is right in the heart of DC as well. It's like a 12 minute walk from the U S Capitol to Museum of the Bible. And it's like two blocks South of the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. If people know where that 
that um, museum is. So the Museum of the Bible is actually the third largest museum in D.C. And oh, wow. yeah, it's like so it's got incredible technology. It's super engaging. It's um, it's a lot of fun. So it's not your typical museum setting where, you know, you've got some biblical artifacts behind a glass case, but it really is really immersive. You feel like you're walking through Nazareth Village at one part. Wow. You get to have these different experiences. So it's a lot of fun. We hope that um, people get to go enjoy it. It's right there in D.C. Yeah, that's on our bucket list now. And <laughs> Hobby Lobby is basically on my bucket list every week. I, I try, I <laughs> I try to that. make that happen every week. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I know. Me too. But it's so dangerous. It's like, you know, I always end up buying more than I need. Like, oh, yeah. If I have something to return, so dangerous. <laughs> if I have something to return, my husband's like, can we afford for you to go return? <laughs> it's very dangerous for you to walk in. So funny. I get that. So, you and Michael, you guys have been trying to build your family for a little while. So tell us about that so far. Yeah, sure. So we, um, about, it's been five and a half years ago now that we started, um, hoping to, um, build a family. Um, and we first started that conversation whenever it was, um, I took Michael out to dinner at a nice restaurant that was nicer than we would normally eat at. And we were getting steaks for his uh, 25th birthday. And at dinner, I started, you know, asking him what he was thinking about family and particularly with adoption. So I, <laughs> I happened to know that for a lot of the international adoption process, um, some of the countries you could begin the adoption process once one of you turned 25. So they have different age limits for different countries. And in Africa, which is one of the country, some of the countries with the youngest ages, as long as one of the parents was 25 years old, you could apply for adoption. And so at Michael's 25th birthday uh, dinner <laughs> for him and I, I brought this up. It's like, hey, yeah, did you know? <laughs> Good timing. So, yeah. So he was, um, we, we had both talked about adoption a lot before, and he knew that was something that was always of interest to me um, because of my own family experiences. And so Michael was like, yeah, you know, let's, let's pray about it for the next month. And, you know, we'll kind of revisit this again in like over the next couple of weeks and then kind of make a decision, but let's be praying about it. And I was like, okay, well the, like the next day he had printed off the adoption application and was like, Hey, here's the paperwork. If we want to go ahead and start working on it. <laughs> so, um, so we did. So five and a half years ago, we started pursuing an adoption through Uganda and we, um, three years into the adoption process, the, country, we were getting pretty close to, um, finalizing, being matched with a child and finalizing an adoption when the country of Uganda actually, um, voted to change their international adoption laws and closed their program. So oh we were back to square one after investing thousands of dollars and three years of time. So that was wow. a pretty, um, pretty difficult news to take. So, so does that mean that like an indefinitely you cannot adopt a child from Uganda right. until they change that? Right. So they wow. close their international adoption program indefinitely. So they may open it back up someday, but there's no way to tell when, if, or when they will. 
So our agency started then um, encouraging us to consider the other countries that were um, options for adoption. And we, we were interested in India um, at that point and started, started looking at a program that was being piloted in India. And after about a year of kind of waiting to see if that program would work, um, it just, we, it wasn't, they weren't being, um, having any completed adoption. So then they encouraged us to start looking at other programs again. So that was when I was, uh, at that point we were a couple months out from turning 30, which for China, the, um, adoption age is 30. Both parents have to be at least 30 years old to adopt from China. And China is a country I'd always wanted to adopt from. I just knew I had to wait on my age. Mm -hmm. So whenever I was 29 and a half, our agency said we could go ahead and start working on the paperwork for China. And so just, uh, let's see, it was four months ago, I turned 30 and my husband turned 30 a couple months before I did. So we are now officially in the adoption process with China. So it has been quite a journey. Um, definitely not what I would have expected for our story. Right. You think, I mean, you just think you make the decision to have adopt, to do the adoption and you have the money to do it and it's just going to happen. Right. And those doors are just closing. That's crazy. Yes. Yes. So we are still hopeful. We also have wanted to consider um, domestic adoption as well, but um, you know, you're, you can only pursue one at a time. And so maybe, oh, really? yeah, maybe after the China, if the China do- adoption works out, we'll go on to do a domestic. So yeah. Yeah. And in the process of all this, you guys just started started to pursue having bio kids. We did, yes, yeah. So whenever we were um, a couple years into the adoption process and realizing that we were going to be back at square one and things weren't really going to be progressing quickly in the adoption, we decided that we would go ahead and start pursuing um, children biologically. Uh, we had always hoped to have a mix of both and um, had just kind of had adoption on our hearts as the, the option we wanted to pursue first. Um, and so since since that wasn't working out, we, yeah, it was about three years ago. So after a couple years of being in the adoption process, um, started pursuing um, having children biologically. And then, you know, three years later, <laughs> we still do not have bio children either. So um, that was... That was something that honestly, I just never really, I guess I was pretty optimistic and didn't expect that to be difficult for us to mm-hmm. be able to have um, bio children. So whenever we were a year into trying, um, it was it was this frustrating realization that, you know, we've not been able to have children or start a family the way we wanted to really in either um, path that we had pursued. Um, So we were pursuing multiple paths toward trying to start a family and nothing was working. Um, And I I mean, for, for a lot of families um, it might, the adoption might come later um, that pursuing that process, but we were pursuing both and still not having any luck. So it was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and after uh, a, a number of different you know, medical tests and having um, just different tests run, we, we've, and then trying a number of different treatments, we've kind of been classified as unexplained infertility, which wow. is um, a reality yeah. for a lot of couples. So yeah. about a third, a third of infertility um, cases are, 
um, kind of identified as being um, an issue with the the woman, a third are having to do with an issue with the male, and then a third are either unexplained or a combination of both. And so we fall into that kind of sliver of unexplained infertility, which Mm -hmm. um, is a really frustrating thing Uh, because there's... I remember, I remember going through the, the different, um, medical tests and all the blood work and all the, all the things and thinking, you know, as long as we can figure out, then we can find a solution. Like, I just hope that we're not in that unexplained category because our doctor had told us kind of that that could be a possibility. And so whenever (laughs) we were, it was like, of course that, that is where we fell. Um, so it's just a bit, um, you know, just frustrating to not have the answers and know how, what to pursue to fix it. Um, so that's where we've ended up landing. Um, we are, you know, hopeful, still hopeful, but you know, five years later and through adoption, trying adoption and having bio children, it just, it hasn't been our story. It hasn't happened for us and, um, never expected that to be our story, but, um, you know, it is, it is something that my husband and I decided about a year ago that we wanted to be, be talking about pretty openly. Um, my past or my husband is a, like Wick mentioned, a pastor at our church. And so he has gotten to share about that. Um, and just kind of the journey from the pulpit in, um, one of his sermons, he was preaching actually on how the Holy spirit is a comforter. Um, and so he got to kind of share from a personal experience, just, what that's looked like for us. And so Mm -hmm. we, we realize that this is something that affects more people than often is realized. Um, at least one in eight couples will report dealing with infertility. And so that's a lot of couples and even just the topic of childlessness in general. Um, I have friends that are, uh, single, still single. And so they still, you know, long for children, but it's not a part of their story yet. And so they're wrestling with childlessness for different reasons, um, or friends that have had miscarriages and are wrestling with childlessness and the loss, um, of, of children. So, um, it affects a lot of people, uh, much more than I think is often talked about. Yeah. I have a dear friend who she's still single. She's around our age and, um, she started a Bible plan and, you know, you have the option of making it public or keeping it private. And she, it was called like, um, longing for motherhood. And she decided to make it public because she wanted to, you know, she's active on, on her Bible app. And she had a lot of, of, of feedback from her friends about why in the world she was reading that Bible plan when she's single. Mm, and I think that's kind yeah. of a missed, that's a missed area there that that's still childlessness. And that's still that's still a battle they have to face. Um, Absolutely. Their, it's been interesting. Been. And that's not, that's not something that I expected, but I've noticed that I do connect with my uh, single friends that are experiencing the same type of longing, um, but for different reasons, but it has been neat to, to have that um, level of connection. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how you guys felt led to adopt. Cause typically, you know, like you said, that comes later. So what was that process like deciding to adopt before trying to have kids of your own? Yeah. So because of, um, I mentioned kind of just my family experience, that was something I was passionate about. So my grandparents adopted my aunt, my parents adopted my sister. And so I, it's just kind of something that's been, 
in our family. And so I'll be a third generation um, adoptive parent in our, in our family. Um, and so my, I just getting to experience, um, you know, up close, getting to see my sister adopted from China and, um, the blessing that that has been for our, our entire family was always, um, just really neat. And mm-hmm. so that was something that, you know, uh, it kind of was always in my heart that I'd love to have that experience as well. And, um, and also just realizing the gift that adoption is, um, for a family is to just see the gospel lived out. Um, God adopts us into his family whenever we become believers. And so, um, it's really neat to have an earthly picture of that to, to see a child adopted into a family. Um, and that that child is, just as much a part of that family, um, as if they were a bio kid. Um, right. so they have the same inheritance. They, they are treated the same. They, they are a part of that family. Um, and that's the way that's a wonderful picture of the gospel. And so I just always thought that that was really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have a heart for the church to step in and help bridge the gap between the need for orphans in, in the world. Um, and that is a uh, sign of true, you know, in the scripture, it says it's a sign of true religion is to care for the widow and the orphan. And so I do think that that is a calling for all believers. And so that doesn't mean every, um, every family is called to adopt, but I do think that believers um, need to be caring for the orphan on some level, whether that's um, supporting um, families that have foster children or have adopted or providing materials to um, kids in need, whatever that looks like, I think we each have a part. Um, and so for our family specifically, um, just always was passionate about pursuing adoption. And and also my, my brother and his wife are foster parents. And so I've gotten to see just the journey, the beautiful journey that that is. It's a very difficult journey, but mm-hmm. um, I love my foster um, niece. She's been in our life for a number of months now, and she's just incredible, an incredible blessing. And then also my other sister got her master's in social work. And so she is a therapist and works with children and families who have gone through the adoption process. Um, for children that are adopted, it's a lot um, to, to, that's a lot to process. Um, the, just the trauma of being separated from their bio parents, um, even if they were separated as an infant and won't have actual memories of it, the trauma and the loss um, still will affect them. Um, and so I've, I've seen that um, and just the, the unique care that adopted children need um, because of my sister's work. And so that's been really eye-opening and helpful. Um, so for, for just a lot of, <laughs> a lot of reasons, I guess, um, adoption and foster care is something that it's kind of just been in the DNA of our family, I guess. Right. And so, yeah, I'm very passionate about it. And always, since I was a teenager, couldn't wait to get to pursue adoption myself. That's awesome. So with adoption, cl- those doors being closed, with trying to have bio kids, those doors feeling like they're being closed, what what has that, tell me more about what that's been like for you and Michael. Yeah, it's been it's such a roller coaster. Um I, I remember before we started pursuing adoption, hearing people say that it's a roller coaster. Um, and it's true. Um, it, you know, and then out on top of that, the, um, the bio, um, pursuing bio kids too. And that, that being a closed door, it's, it's one of those things that I talk about a lot, just kind of the idea of having to grieve 
the loss of expectations. Um, it's, it's easy to grieve something that you've known or seen. So Mm -hmm. my husband's grandmother passed away last year. And so, um, it was easy for people to understand that we were grieving the loss of our grandmother mm-hmm. and, and that we would miss her. But to, to understand the idea of grieving something that has never been <laughs> is a little more complicated. And so I think it's not as easy for people to connect or to understand what that is like. Um, so we've, Michael and I have both just tried to use language of grieving and, and helping people understand, um, that it, it, it doesn't kind of wrestling through infertility does include grieving the loss of that expectation of what your family would look like and the timeline that you had in mind. Um, one of the harder things, um, for me with this whole process was that my, one of my closest friends and I both started trying to get pregnant at the same time. And she got pregnant, you know, the second month they tried and I, you know, it was so exciting. And I was like, okay, well, hopefully, hopefully we'll just be, you know, a month or two behind her. And then a couple months goes by and I was like, okay, well, if, you know, if we, if we still get pregnant soon, we'll still at least be pregnant. We'll have a couple months of overlap. Um, and then that didn't happen. And then now today she just recently had her second baby and, you know, we're still, um, with, without any children. And so I had, you know, I had this expectation that we would get to walk through this season together and that just hasn't been the reality. And so, um, had to grieve that dream being lost. Um, and you know, we can't, can't ever go back and change that. Our reality is what it is. Um, and it's out of our control. And so it's also having to accept that, you know, God has a plan and a purpose. And I know that he sees the bigger picture. He sees the full span of my life and my husband's life and what our story is meant to look like. And I, I do trust him. I trust him with that. And even though I can't see why this is happening and I can't understand what it's going to look like in the end, um, I know that because we have a good God, he is trustworthy and I can trust him with that. Um, so, so with the, with the grieving though, um, I think there's a few things that are easy to do, um, either to isolate or to dismiss the negative feelings or to just get busy. (laughs) And I have experienced all of those (laughs) at different times, but, um, I naturally just, um, kind of lean in towards just getting busy so that I don't have to sit and think about it. And I think that there's some good can, that can be done from that. Um, but I, I do think that it's important to allow allow yourself to process through the emotions and not dismiss those negative feelings and just try and, um, skip past them, but to realize, you know, you have those negative feelings of sadness and, um, and disappointment for a reason. Uh, and so to give yourself some grace and accept that it's okay to feel that way. Um, and then, and then try and find truth and hope that can bring, um, joy back into the picture, which for me, uh, is always turning to the Bible because that's right. been such an encouragement for me. That's what I was going to ask. What does that, you know, what does that look like when, it, you know, say it's a bad report or another, you know, your friend gets pregnant with her second child and you're grieving that. What does that look like for you? Do you, 
immediately get busy and then back back off and try to sit in that for a little while you journal like how does that how do you work through that yeah oh I love that question um you know I think that it's dependent on the season so some seasons probably when I'm healthier (laughs) I I do process through that with my husband and um and, and some friends my sisters and just kind of talk about how something maybe felt you know I recently, just actually last week, had um, a friend who's been walking through infertility send me a text message and say, you know, hey, I know this is going to come with mixed emotions, but we are pregnant. And so, Mm. and then like a couple days later, uh, another family, a a close family friend texted and said, you know, hey, you know, I wanted you to hear it from us, you know, because I, I, again, same type of thing. I know that Mm -hmm. this is going to be somewhat difficult news, but we're pregnant. And so, um, you know, so just having that happen twice in one week, it was um, for me to be able to appreciate that they were wanting to be sensitive to understanding our situation. Um, but then also that allowed me the space to kind of process through that and, and just chat with my husband about it. Um, and I do journal. So I (laughs) journal every day. I'm a, I'm a big journal journaler. So I'm getting to just write out, you know, my prayers and, and just, um, talk with God about it and, and remembering that, you know, in this, in Psalm 34, 18, which is one of my favorite verses for just, you know, difficult seasons, it says, God draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Um, so, you know, knowing that God is near is, is always an encouragement. And even when I don't feel like it, um, I think that sometimes it can be frustrating to feel like God isn't there. And people have probably heard this analogy. Um, but if they haven't, um, I was recently talking to a friend who said they kind of love the picture of, um, seeing two sets of footprints in the sand and then seeing it. (laughs) Yes. Go down to one footprint and, and, you know, the person saying, you know, God, why does it look like you left me in the difficult season? And, and then God's reply being, um, I didn't leave you. I was carrying you. And so that's why it was just the one footprint. But yeah, um, the old Love school, that. I used to have a picture, yeah, yes, picture in our house, like growing yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like blue mat around it. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I remember that photo well, probably from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Pro- you know what? Probably. <laughs> of course. Comes full circle. Um, but, but I do think that that is a really helpful picture, just a mental yeah. picture to remember, you know, that God is with us, um, even in the difficult, even in the difficult circumstances. Um, in the season. So, but yeah, in the unhealthy seasons though, kind of on the flip side, um, it's definitely, you know, I throw myself into work or trying to prove that I am accomplished. Um, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means I'm an achiever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I usually apologize to friends when I tell them that I'm a three. Um, but you know, for that, it's, it's a uh, easy thing to try and look for it to our achievement to be able to fulfill some of the the longings that I have in other areas of life. And so it's, it's a process to, to be in a healthy place to balance that. So you and Michael both have said, um, through your blogs and just articles that you've written that you would rather have a life with Jesus 
and no kids than a life with kids and no Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy to some people. <laughs> so how did you get to that point? Yeah, I, <laughs> it is, it, it does sound crazy um, at times, but I think that for, for us, it, it eventually just became like a natural thing that we would remind each other of because we've seen that things of this world never bring real satisfaction. They can bring a lot of joy and fulfillment, um, relationships, Mm -hmm. friendships with each other, family. They do bring a lot of um, joy, but they're never, they're never going to bring ultimate fulfillment like Christ does. So, um, you know, knowing that we, we can just kind of then apply that as well to having children and knowing that that would be a wonderful blessing. And we still hope and long for that, but we would rather have Jesus because he gives us ultimate and eternal joy and, and fulfillment and peace in a way that nothing else in this world can give us. Um, and, and Christ has given us so much, um, through, through the death, his death on the cross in order to pay the price for our sins. And so because we can have relationship with God through, through Christ's, what Christ has done on the cross, we are so grateful and, um, just we, we love that Christ can also recognize and sympathize with us in our suffering because Christ himself went through suffering. Um, and, and I, I love actually in Hebrews 12 too, it says, um, that for the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross, which is such a weird thing to think that Christ would have joy <laughs> knowing that he was about to go to the cross. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of joy that we can each have because of Christ, because we know what's on the other side of the suffering. For Christ, he knew what was on the other side of the cross. He knew that that meant um, forgiveness for us, his children and relationship with God and, and reconciliation. And so for us as believers, we know that we can have hope beyond our suffering because of what Christ has done, because that means we can end up, um, in eternity with God. And that is where all tears will be wiped away and all suffering will, will be gone. Mm -hmm. And so what great joy and hope that gives us that, no matter what we, what suffering, what trial we go through here on earth, there is great joy because of what is beyond it. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why we, we'd rather have Jesus because he gives us something that nothing else in this world can give us. Yeah. And that's, that's really been on my heart the past couple of weeks is that just, I mean, Jesus, you're enough. Mm-hmm. You are, you are, if, if we get nothing else in this life, you've done enough and you are enough in who you, in just who you are. Exactly. And I read, um, I think it was Francis Chan's first book, Crazy Love, maybe. I think yeah. it's the name. Yeah, I think so. Um, he talked about that. He said, if you could have heaven with all your friends and all your family and everything that you love in life, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be satisfied? Mm-hmm. And that was a hard question back, you know, that many years ago. I was like, well, yeah, I'd feel like I would be. And if your answer is yes to that, then that's then, then you're, that's not really the right way to think. Um, yeah, I love that. because Jesus is the only thing that can truly fully satisfy for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuck with me and it's been replayed in my head over the past, you know, eight years through this is, am I enough? And the answer is 
now, yes, but like you said, I don't think I don't think it's a moment that you can just say, okay, I'm going to switch right, that. Right, right. It's a process. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Uh, I haven't read Francis Chan's book, but I I want to. I've heard lots of good things, so I love I love what you yeah. just described. Well, Lauren, before we end out, I want to hear all about your new book that you and your mom just wrote and released. Yeah. So So mom and I got to co-write a book together. It's called Only One Life, How a Woman's Every Day Shapes an Eternal Legacy. And Mm. in the book, mom and I um, write just kind of celebrate the ways that women have made a difference and an impact in our world. So there's 12 chapters and in each chapter we highlight a different legacy um, character trait. So whether courage or boldness, tenacity, faith, prayer, we look at each one of those different areas and highlight a woman from the Bible, a woman from history, and a modern day woman who are living out that different character trait. And so it was so fun because we just got to celebrate the ways that other women have made an impact in our world. And some of the names will be recognizable, um, you know, like quote unquote celebrity names. Um, Mm -hmm. And some are women that people will have never heard of before and not known their story. And so um, it was, it was a lot of fun to work on that with my mom. And we just talk about the role that women have in shaping a legacy and that whenever we have this eternal mindset of wanting to invest in things that are eternal, which um, are people and God's word, then we can really make a legacy that will live on beyond us and continue to impact the world once we are gone. So it's just an encouragement for women to be intentional. So we, we had a lot of fun and it's, uh, yeah, you can get it on Amazon or bookstores, Hobby Lobby. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> of course, Mardell. Yes. Um, yeah, I love how that even ties into what we were talking about. Like with infertility, you can you can choose to focus on the this world and this issue and this problem, or you can like what you said, dig down deep and just focus on the things that are eternal. And this life is so it short. Is. This life is so yes. short, and eternity is what matters. And so just leaning into Jesus and allowing him to do what the work he wants to do in your heart and using this story to, to point people back to him. That's what lasts. That's, that's the legacy with this story. I mean, if you have kids, that's a legacy too. And that's great. But if you never have children, is he enough? Exactly. And that's a pretty, pretty phenomenal legacy yes. to be able to leave. I love it. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And so we hope that those that do read it can realize that God has placed them in the particular circumstances and area that they're in with the relationships they have and they can use their their particular context to make a difference um, and to shape a legacy that's something that's open for all of us which is really cool that's awesome thank you lauren for coming on today yeah thanks so much for having me i'm very grateful it was a lot of fun okay so now i have a question for you What kind of legacy are you living through the story that God has allowed to unfold in your life? Now, I'm not saying, should we all skip around and never have our bad days? No. But what do we do in those moments? Do we allow bitterness and anger and jealousy to swallow us up? Or do we lay it all at the feet of Jesus, stand back up and ask him, how can I use this to glorify you? I wanna encourage you today, Infertility is hard, but let's not let it break us. What the devil meant for evil, God intends it for good. 
Let's become an army of women that not only is raising awareness for infertility, which is the big movement in the past couple years I'm all for, partly what this podcast is about, but let's become an army of women that brings awareness to the character of our Father, that no matter what circumstances come our way, no matter what bad news we get, we trust our God. And that will be a powerful, powerful legacy and one that I am honored and grateful to be pursuing with every one of you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.